We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Barcelona Podcast, bringing the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. I'm Dan Hilton from the Barca Block team here in New York City, and I'm joined across the ocean by Frances Tomas, as seen on ESPN and BarcaBlog.com, as always. You can follow our show with the show notes at tbpod.link backslash 41. That is, again, tbpod.link backslash 41. Frances, what's on tap today? We've got a lot on tap today. We've got plenty of news coming up from the World Cup qualifiers, etc. But before we start, I want to say a deep, deep, heartfelt thank you to our Patreons. Uh, we haven't mentioned our Patreons for a little while, but honestly, they are the people who make this show possible. I think Francesc and Dan, so ourselves, do a little bit too. But without the support of the Patreons, we could not at all be making this show for you on a weekly, bi-weekly basis. So if you enjoy the show and want to be part of it, please show your support and head over to tvpod.link forward slash Patreon. We will be forever grateful if you consider donating as little as $3, which is in a way, guys, is nothing. So if you've got a little bit of spare change for us, we'll happily take it because every little helps. So you can head over to tvpod.link forward slash Patreon. That is tvpod.link forward slash Patreon. We will be grateful and continue to do the show and bring you the latest stories from the Camp Nou, as we always do. Right, let's get into it. In episode 41 of the Barcelona podcast, we will focus on the World Cup qualifiers and the latest reaction and, and the stories coming out of that. Then we're going to be doing a little bit of a recap, because obviously Barca haven't played any games for the last week, so we're going to look back at the season so far. And then we're going to cover the latest development at board level, um, because Guillermo Amor has been appointed in a new position. The Barcelona Podcast 41 starts right here. And it starts with that number 10, Lionel Messi, that we had a show about him, all about him, just last week. And while it looked like with the World Cup qualifying, there was an uphill battle and we might have had some, uh, well, I guess we'd have a lot of bad news going on because Argentina had some work to do to make the World Cup. Lionel Messi puts himself right back in the headlines, scoring a hat-trick against Ecuador, meaning Argentina finished third in Combable, that is the South American World Cup qualifying, behind just Brazil and Uruguay, and ahead of Colombia and Peru, where Peru's going to head to the playoff against New Zealand, and Chile 
with Ardo Vidal and Alexis Sanchez is knocked out of the competition, won't be at the World Cup. So the guy we're going to talk about today is Lionel Messi for his performance against Argentina and just his ability always to have a team rely on him. And every time a team seems desperate to rely on him, he always seems to find the answer in the back of the net. Yes, he certainly does. I think Messi is football and Messi being football means that he needs a World Cup and, and football in a way owes him that. He's the best player ever and he's just desperate, hugely desperate to win the only major title that he's missing on his CV. His performance for Argentina against Ecuador was incredible. Um, his hat-trick really sort of took the whole country forward. Um, I was quite shocked because obviously I, I, have, I do for Argentina regularly, but I think the, the starting eleven that was fielded, particularly in the last three games of the qualifiers in South America, the, the team didn't really look strong at all in terms of names, in terms in terms of world class talent. It was sort of messy stand, standing out, and then ten sort of averagey players that Messi in a way took forward. And if it wasn't for the number ten's brilliance, they really wouldn't be in the World Cup at all. Um, I think, and, and you know particularly in Messi's perspective, that speaks wonders of what he can do and what he can bring to the table. Dan, you stayed, well, for me it would be stayed up, but obviously the time difference in the States is, is different. So um, you did watch the game live. Dan, what did you think of that? Yeah, it was a little more convenient time-wise for me to view it. But Messi, the reason I think those names weren't there is because he was employed in a similar free-ranging position, but a little bit more on the right side for Argentina where he was switching consistently with not necessarily an out-and-out striker in Dario Benedetto of Boca Juniors, but Benedetto served as the Luis Suarez role as the way that Messi is being used by Valverde currently. And then Angel Di Maria just stayed out wide on the wing on the left side. Di Maria's fancy positioning throughout that game led to the first assist for the first Messi goal. And so with Argentina, trying to get the best out of Messi and making him the focal point of their team is what kind of led them to get the best out of Messi, which makes sense. But they put a focus on it where Paulo Dybala, who's probably their second best attacking option, and yet he doesn't get a starting spot, and he has to either hope that he can come on for the last 10, 15 minutes of any game at international level just because those two occupy the same space on the field, that being Messi and Dybala. And so the team is just so Messi-dependent and I know you've said that about Barcelona in the past, but it truly is the, the the name of the game for Argentina, where Messi is the only player who's scored for Argentina in 10 months. That's just, that just tells you how reliant that Argentina are on Lionel Messi. And the reason they got the best out of him this time around is because they're just trying to channel what Ernesto Valverde is doing with him. And they were able to do that to some great effect. And if that requires you just to play players who like Dario Benedetto who's just a a 27 year old player who plays in Argentina and is not well known on the world stage if that takes playing guys in natural position to support Messi as opposed to playing these big names out of position then that just seems what Argentina's coaching staff is going to have to do and they certainly got the best out of Messi in that game offensively Ecuador just couldn't stop him where on the other side of things, Argentina was just hoping that their defense were going to hold on long enough because in that game, and then that's the narrative too, that in that game, Ecuador, within the first two minutes, took a one nothing lead. The goal 
was partially to blame on Javier Mascherano, or at least he was the guy who should take the largest part of blame for that first goal. And I got to tell you, Frances, for any neutrals who are watching that game, not only is Kamabol qualifying, in my opinion, the most challenging and the most exciting wire-to-wire, because all 10 teams could potentially make the World Cup, but that was one of the most open games I have ever watched. And if you have a chance to go back and view it, that game just wire to wire where every time Argentina decided to push one or two men forward, Ecuador would break. They had a lot of speedy wingers and then Messi and company would come right back the other way. And it was just end to end for almost 90 minutes. And Messi was the one who wound up capitalizing with the three goals. Well, certainly I was lucky enough to watch extended highlights of the game. And, you know, because the game in UK time, I think it started like at 2 a.m., um, on a work day, and I really, really couldn't do that. Otherwise, I would have been dead for work the very next morning. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely something that I have to be able to do. Hopefully, in the weekend before the Barca game at Atletico, I can I can feel a bit of time to to, to watch that. But um, I think from a Barca perspective, every time Messi travels across the pond to go to Argentina, um, our heart sort of shrinks a little bit, simply because we don't really know which level of morale he's going to have when he comes back because he goes you know all charge of batteries and always wanting to make a difference but because of the fact that there is such immense pressure on his shoulders we sort of feel for him a little bit and we're never really sure as to what sort of player we're going to have when he comes back um, I think that the fact that Messi qualified his country for the World Cup is great news for Barca because let's face it if Messi smiles and he feels settled and he's content then Barca as a whole are smiling too, and so are we. So that is great, great, great news. Um, I think obviously not having made the World Cup would have been disastrous. He would have taken a huge psychological blow, and obviously he would have added some added extra pressure, in a way, from everybody around him, but definitely from himself. And, you know, those nonsensical, you see the greatest of all time debates would have started again. And that would have been a waste of time, our time, Messi's time and everybody's time. So it's much better this way. Messi is at the World Cup. He will play a part on the biggest national tournament um, in the world, arguably the biggest football tournament that there is, simply because it's every four years. Having said that, I still love the Champions League enormously, even though it's a yearly occurrence. But yeah, I think Messi is now at Barca, he's back. He's got um, a job to do under Ernesto Valverde. He's still the key man here. But obviously, as you sort of imply what you were talking, then his, um, his, his role within the Barca squad and, and what he's got around him in terms of supporting cast is completely different. So I really do hope that Messi can continue to focus on Barca so we can challenge for the treble once again this season. And if we don't get the treble, at least we're challenging until the very end. And that's how titles are won. And obviously, everything will depend as to how we are in terms of fitness, how much rotation has happened in the squad uh, in the last couple of months. But we need to get to that sort of final hurdle with every chance of, of winning. And then once the Champions League final, which obviously Barca are not only going to play, but they're going to win this year, uh, then Messi can focus on Argentina again. And hopefully he will assign his new contract by then. And hopefully he will have a great campaign in the summer and win the World Cup he so thoroughly deserves. It was a really foreign idea, and what was making all the headlines was an idea of a World Cup without Lionel Messi. Just because of the sheer disappointment, I think, on a world stage that everybody would have, where as much as we may dislike 
Cristiano Ronaldo, a World Cup without Ronaldo just doesn't feel like a complete World Cup in the same way that a World Cup without Messi just doesn't feel like a complete tournament. And for a lot of players, you could say the level, the top level, the top of the top, the, the greatest of all time, the things that they want and believe that they can capture is a Champions League trophy and the World Cup trophy. And those are the things, those are the, the, the marquee things. And you have to, a lot of times, players will either extend their careers or that's when they announce their, their retirement is based on even World Cup cycles where players make transfer moves to different clubs based on making themselves viable options for World Cup teams. And so the World Cup is just such a, a big thing. It is, it is, you'd have to say, even with the Champions League, the World Cup is the most important thing that happens in the sport of soccer. It's here in the U.S., while, yes, here's the dark cloud, the U.S. didn't qualify. Um, I, For anyone who wants to hear my just disheartened and sad opinion about it, that's not for this podcast. That's for another show, another place, another time. But Is it? I no, I'd say so. It's this is the. I, I want to hear it, Dan. Can you please? Can you please let us know how you feel about the U.S. not qualifying? Because I mean, from from my position, um, I mean, Spain qualified, Catalonia don't play, and it wasn't too hard for Spain to qualify. Messi's in it. I, I think I'm talking as someone who is a foreigner to the U.S. Obviously, um, I'd like to know what your thoughts are. How how are you feeling? What's what's going on? I think disheartened is uh, I, uh, the biggest part of it. And there's a lot to unpack with the way the U.S. needs to look at themselves as a, the, the soccer federation at least needs to look at itself as a whole. While this group of players and there was two coaches in charge of the course of the qualifying cycle, Jurgen Klinsmann, then Bruce Arena came in to try to just get the team to the World Cup as he had done twice before. And he was unable to do that. And so there seems to be a gap in talent where you have a lot of players reaching either at 30 or, or above 30. And then you have a lot of young players coming in, not necessarily as young as Pulisic. He's, he's kind of the outlier in all of this. But you have a, a lot of young players, 20, 21, 22, who are kind of coming of age and you think that they're the next generation. And there was this missing generation, almost from ages 24 to 28. And what U.S. soccer, I think, needs to do is start to understand and try to figure out why something like that would happen. And now soccer is run a little differently in the States. When I grew up playing, there is a model in the U.S. called pay to play, which is basically where the top caliber talent and the top caliber tournaments that are held, um, they do deal with a financial commitment by parents and families, and they do take a lot of travel and things like that. And so that means that not necessarily the most talented are able to participate in those top youth engagements, but merely the families that can afford to make those kind of commitments to the sport. And so for a country with so many people in it, that's kind of diluting the talent base. And so I think it's in the U.S.'s best interest to try to continue to work with this. Now they have, I mean, all the MLS teams, a lot of, not all of them, but a lot of them now have academies in a way that they didn't even two, three years ago. And so it's building and they're growing and they're trying to figure out the youth system here. Um, And so that's going to take a lot of patience, but the unfortunate thing, and my fear is that in the U S we're going to take a step back in terms of, and I do say we, we're going to take a step back in terms of soccer because that world cup and this is going to lead me right back into talking about Barcelona, but that World Cup brings in so many neutral fans. So many of my friends, very few who like soccer, 
will watch the World Cup. It's a great opportunity for people to say, let me just go to this watch party. Let me go to my, my, my local restaurant, wherever. And it's on the TV. And so people who are not engaged in the sport are getting engaged in the sport. And if you can pick up a few million followers every time, it just helps grow the sport. Because in the U.S., you do have this... I don't. There's this bias against it. It's not our number one sport. You have the NFL, you have the NBA, you have MLB, and you have baseball, and so there are all these other sports and distractions. And so there are so many people saying soccer is not even our fourth or fifth most popular sport. Who cares? And with the World Cup not happening, those voices of who cares just go grow louder. And those are the ones that kind of ring in my head and frustrate me. So I think. Devastated is not the right word because I know we're growing. We Pulisic is the only 19, and I think the U.S. is still on the rise. But unfortunately, for all the steps we've taken in the last four years, it seems like we took one huge step back with this. So I think for Argentina, it would have been the exact same story, right? If And Argentina, unfortunately, their, their, their youth programs and the way they build things up is probably a, a little more established and organized in the way the U.S. is even doing it. So if you miss out on Messi's last World Cup as an FA for Argentina, where does that put you? And I think that was just a terrifying harbinger of a potential future that Argentina was dealing with, where, as I said, if they don't miss the World Cup, I mean, if they miss the World Cup, there is just sponsorships lost. There are there's just so much money on the line with that happening. And so... For Argentina, getting into the World Cup was a desperate thing that, that had to happen. And so Messi was able to do that. And so I guess we'll transition. You got that idea, Frances. I mean, I mean, I, I guess that answered your question, right? You did. <laughs> yes, you did answer my question in depth. Um, I, from, from what it's worth, I think that having the U.S. qualifying for the World Cup um, would be better for the sport and from a global perspective because of the USA market and the fact that, you know, there was a World Cup there in 1994, as I remember, uh, which I was fortunate enough to watch, not live, but I was, you know, already clued up about football watching and understanding. Uh, that's when Luis Enrique got punched in the face by the Italian defender Tassotti. And I'll never forget that. Um, I don't know if I cried, but I was really, really annoyed. Uh, I probably did cry because I've probably <laughs> probably told off on my parents by the way I reacted. But uh, anyway, honestly, you don't really want to know anything about that. So um, yeah, I, I really do. I really do hope that um, football grows in the USA or soccer, as you guys call it, and um, that the USA can with Pulisic, which we obviously talked about in our previous podcast at tvpod.link forward slash forty. Um, then when Pulisic comes of age and, and his teammates and sort of contemporaneous, so people of his age um, reach the level that is necessary, then hopefully you can have an impact in the next World Cup. Uh, I'm not going to say we'll miss you loads because in a way it doesn't matter too much for to anyone outside the US, but I think that from a sports perspective, uh, it would have been great if um, the USA fans were involved and, and able to connect with the sport that we love so much. Yeah, so I guess we'll keep talking about international soccer away from Argentina, but a little side note that we do have to announce, he's a Barcelona player, Javier Mascherano announced his retirement for after the World Cup, very much like PK did. Mascherano was interesting in his post-game analysis, too, of the game with against Ecuador, where he kind of did take some of the fault for the first goal, and he lamented the poor play of Argentina recently and said the next few months the plan in Argentina for the national team is going to be to figure out how to help Messi because I think you kind of get the impression from Mascherano that he knows that they barely squeaked by and made the World Cup 
And so Argentina really isn't playing at a level right now that can help them win in the same way that, with the exception of that Mario Goza overtime winner with Germany winning the last World Cup, we have to remember how close Argentina were. They took Germany all the way to extra time. And as I said, if Goza doesn't connect on that tough angle shot, then Argentina may be going into penalty kicks and who knows what's going to happen in that situation. So Matt Jones is going to be wrapping up his international career. And so uh, before we talk about the other guys out on duty, so a little quick thing for you, Frances, with Mascherano, you kind of do say it's messier than 10 other guys, but Mascherano has been so important to that Argentina team in the ways that he's played midfield when they've needed him. He played like he did against Ecuador in defense when they needed him. And he has been such a, a humble servant even longer than Messi for the national team. Of course, no doubt, no doubt. Mascherano has been fantastic throughout his whole career. But um, I think we cannot overlook the fact that, in a way, when he's playing for Argentina now, he does it out of courage. He does it out of bravery. You know, he's like a heroic performer every single time. But I think that if there was um, a sort of a succession plan in place, then Mascherano maybe wouldn't be starting for Argentina anymore. Um, and definitely not as a centre-back because let's not forget, he, that's not his natural position, although he's been playing there for many years now. And uh, traditional Argentina, he's played as a central defensive midfielder, uh, which is where he belongs. I think going back to what you said, uh, Mascherano at the end of the game said that Leo owns football, so he owns the game of football. And as the owner, he has the ability to create new things. And I think that um, Mascherano's message, if you unpick it a little bit, is just that everyone knows that Messi is carrying them forward and they want to step their own game up in order to help him through. Now, transitioning a little bit to something that popped out in social media quite intensively this week, which I cannot really understand, is the Ballon d'Or discussion. Um, people were arguing, and it's been published in the Catalan media as well, that Cristiano will most certainly win his fifth Ballon d'Or in January and that um, they're sort of celebrating the rivalry between the two best players in history and the fact that their careers have sort of coincided. So like um, Larry Bird against Magic Johnson or Federer against Rafael Nadal and they were making that comparison. Um, they were saying that Messi's hat-trick against Ecuador was obviously legendary, but then also Ronaldo did the same thing four years ago, although I don't think it was the same because the players that Ronaldo had around him are not of the caliber, are better than the caliber of players that Argentina has around Messi right now. But people were getting really sort of uptight about it and thinking, you know, it's not fair uh, that he's got, well, he's potentially going to have, or most definitely going to have five Ballon d'Ors come January. This is Cristiano. And then equal in Messi when Messi is clearly a better player and blah, 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 blah. But it doesn't matter, you know, and when the Ballon d'Or comes, we're going to be the worst post podcast ever because I'm going to keep killing the conversation. Um, the Ballon d'Or does not matter. It's a sort of artificial recognition that doesn't really celebrate how good the players are because if Iniesta doesn't have one and Xavi Hernandez doesn't have one and Pirlo doesn't have one, then for me, the credibility is totally lost, you know, and... Yeah, I mean, that, that's the whole story. Uh, Ballon d'Ors do not matter. What really does make a difference and what will be remembered forever is the collective titles that individual performances bring. So this whole conversation really puzzled me this week and I thought I, I really wanted to bring it up because, honestly, there's no importance to it at all. Well, in the Ballon d'Or voting too, certain positions are valued more than others and that 
Goal scoring is always more important than defending, where Cannavaro and Maldini, the last two defenders to win the Ballon d'Or. Since then, I think, and the way that Messi and Ronaldo score at the clip that they do, it'd be interesting to see the voting without those two in it and what positions and what players should be valued. But yeah, as long as those two are around, and looks like Neymar's the next in line, as long as those guys are around, if you play defense or even midfield, then you don't have much of a shot, in, or, or particularly goalkeeper too, man. Well, Neuer and Buffon have both been on that list as well, but if you play any other position other than a goal-scoring forward, then why bother even showing up for something like that? And I agree with that uh, to a large degree, Princess. But again, this is a Barcelona podcast, so when that voting comes, we'll talk about it, but we, again, might not spend too much time on it or beleaguer the points. Now, back to FC Barcelona. I think we're done with international duty to a point, but the last thing we have to mention about international duty and how that could affect FC Barcelona is coming back, they have a match against Atletico Madrid. So this is a big game, the biggest of the season so far for both clubs, I'd have to say. But the one thing that Barcelona might be dealing with is some heavy legs. Looking at the international minutes from the break, two games and playing all 90 minutes in both games were Messi, Mascherano, Luis Suarez, Ivan Rakitic, who had a grueling game against Ukraine. That one was to make uh, just the World Cup playoff, where now Croatia will now need to face off against another one of the teams in UEFA to qualify in a two-legged playoff. Jasper Silesen for the Netherlands, which again, our backup goalkeeper, not the biggest deal. But then Samuel Umtiti and Lucas Dinier for France also played because that wound up being in their group with Sweden closer than anyone expected. And then playing in two games and only getting an eight-minute rest in one of those games was Paulinho, who actually scored a goal as well, had a pretty good international break. And then Ter Stegen, Jordi Alba, Sergio Busquets, Nelson Semedo, and Thomas Vermeulen. Again, that one doesn't matter as much, but Ter Stegen, Alba, and Semedo were able to rest for one of the games because they had already qualified. And then Sergio Busquets missed out the other game because of suspension. So they all had one game under their belts. PK and, and Arda Turan played in one game in 60 minutes, PK missing the other one through suspension. And then Andre Gomez made a quick 15-minute cameo, much like he has for Barcelona this year in one of those games. So as I mentioned, a lot of these players played in some pretty intense games with World Cup qualifying on the line emotionally, physically. And then Messi, Mascherano, Luis Suarez, and Paulinho all had crazy travel schedules to boot. So even though it was an international break, the word break probably doesn't enter the conversation at all because it was more of an international slugfest of all of these important matches at international level for a lot of these players, particularly starters for FC Barcelona. So, And I know on the other side of things, Atletico Madrid are dealing with the same thing. They have a number of Spain players, including Saul that played, and Coque. And for Uruguay, you had Diego Godin play, major minutes so you had guys on both sides of the aisle playing major minutes but FC Barcelona that's a whole lot of international minutes and you hope that they're going to come back refreshed it really is but then again that's a problem that it's it's a blessing to have you know it would be a worse problem to have a squad full of players who don't even make the national team so uh, when you're a major team like Barca or Madrid or Atletico say Bayern Munich Chelsea um, Manchester United etc or Manchester City it's something that you're, you need to be prepared for. And that's why the depth of the squad is so important. That's why we make such a sort of emphasis during the transfer window in the summer, because that's, you need players that can compete and can, in a way, rotate the starters 
so that eventually, when these things happen, the, the team doesn't suffer too much. The game against Atletico is crucial. Um, I think Atletico will be pushing for the top three again this season. Um, Valencia seems really strong, as does Sevilla, but particularly Valencia is a huge improvement from last year. And I think that Atletico and Valencia are both going to be pushing for for the top of the table. So it is really important that Barca gets a good result over the weekend. And I've got full confidence that they will. Um, Barca have got really, really strong this season. And there is no reason to doubt that they will show up again. Even though if they're tired, you know, they're still going to show up and do their best against Atletico in a crucial game against Diego Simeone's men. That kind of does sum up the season as a whole. Uh, Barcelona are dealing with all the challenges they've had. Their big marquee win was that Champions League win against Juventus. It was a 3-0 victory for the Balagrana. But other than that, they're taking on opponents that they should be beating, and they're beating each and every one of them. They all haven't been pretty. Just I think of the, the game against Girona. But they've taken down every challenge they've had to face. And so, so far, Ernesto Valverde, Frances, has them playing in a way that who could have anticipated he was going to have them firing on all cylinders in the way that they are? Yeah, very true. I think the results have been great. You know, as you, as you said, um, pretty much winning every game is fantastic news. But I think we can't forget that the team is, is being built. This is not a finished product at all. And that's why we said that having Messi sort of coming back from Argentina on a high is really going to help. Um, I, Valverde has done great where it works so far. And he's just trying to get a structure which maximizes uh, player potential and sort of makes everyone comfortable, or at least what, that's what he's trying. Now, undoubtedly, Messi is central to Barcelona. He has been for the last 10, 15 years. But he's now being deployed as a false nine at the center of Barca's attacking line. And having him much, much, much closer to the rival's area has been a revelation you know that's why he's sort of firing on all cylinders as you as you've mentioned before um, obviously there's many positive consequences of moving Messi to a more central position he's got much more protagonism in the center of midfield the fluency and the ball flow has also increased and he creates a lot of spaces because he's sort of coming from a central position towards a central position and drifting to the sides um, sporadically but not consistently he's generated many more spaces for to me two of the best players of Barca this season which are Jordi Alba and Nelsinho uh, Semedo for left back and right back because they've got so much more space to run into and then they've effectively become in the team's fourth and fifth forward whenever they're in possession so great great improvement in that in that respect um, Jordi and Nelsinho they've been surprising um, the rivals, whenever they push forward, they've been adding a lot of width and um, they're creating on a game-to-game -game basis and on a sort of constant basis as well, superiority against their rivals. And those situations really do give the team an advantage. Um, their crossing could be better, you know, whenever they get to the byline and they're sort of looking up, sort of, as we say in football in Spain, we say levantando la cabeza, which is sort of, drifting their head up and looking at where their teammates are. Um, they haven't always been very accurate. Um, and whenever they lob the ball, so they cross the ball at a high position, um, it hasn't been as accurate as it could be. Um, they are better when they place the ball on the floor because it's, it's harder to defend. And the, the defenders, if they, if they stop the cross, they have to get it off their foot somehow. 
so that causes more confusion but i think the crossing could could improve but you know it's not it's not too bad at all but i think if there's one thing to improve that has to be the one now obviously the negative ish story of the season is that luis suarez has been struggling a little bit because Suarez is not playing in a position which is as centre as he's used to. Um, and he's been moved slightly to the left. And he's just basically struggling to find his way. Also, he's still, he's got his cyst. Um, so the injuries that he suffered earlier in the season have not fully disappeared. And he's not really reached his peak yet. Um, but because of that, he didn't sort of feel his confident lethal self in front of goal and uh, that extra spark has been lacking a little bit but while and I'm, I'm fully confident that Luis Suarez will come back to to his self to his former self and excel at front but I think in the meantime you've got players like Dennis particularly Dennis Suarez he has been great um, obviously star signing of the season Dembele got injured very early on but Dennis has been grown as a result. He's given he's been given much more playing time and he's making the most of it. And he's now a reliable alternative. I would say right now he's a starter for Barca. Saying that, Deulufeu, Sergio Roberto, Alex Vidal, and obviously when he's played Paulinho, although he's a different position, they've also helped in, Bar in Barca's final third. And there are many more weapons at Ernesto Valverde's disposal for him to to make an impact and take the team forward this season. Um, I really do expect the team to grow even further and hopefully they can begin doing that against Atletico de Madrid. But I think we're in a good position, obviously not just in terms of results because they couldn't be any better, let's face it, but in terms of where we are in the building process, in a way rebuilding process, and um, we should be challenging for the treble. May not happen, but that's what we need to aim for. And I think we've got the, the squad to do it and the manager to lead us towards it. Yeah, I agree with you. The one big issue is getting Luis Suarez right. He scored two goals for Uruguay over the international break, but it's that he's playing so out of position for Barcelona and a place that he's not used to that whether he is injured and hobbled, as we know, plus coupling that with playing out of position, he just seems to be not himself and so getting him right is part of the equation but then you also look at there were some transfer rumors coming out in the last few days Anthony Martial uh, the French winger for Manchester United apparently there's a Martial for Rakitic swap and the reason we're not talking about it today is because there's not much credence to it and until we hear from some better sources than we've heard it we're not going to put too much too much in it but a player like that in being linked with Barcelona it makes sense because that's the kind of position, those wingers, where Barcelona or Valverde's system supports them a lot more than it does a natural number nine in the middle of the field center striker like Luis Suarez, where Martial is the kind of player that just fits Valverde's system a little better because you have Messi in the middle there. But you play with the players you have, where Luis Suarez, we need to get him right. Paco Alcacer, because of the way that Barcelona play just doesn't seem to have a place, doesn't seem to have a position. So we have to reevaluate his place on the team and where he's going to be contractually moving forward. But other than that, you have to like a lot of the other things you've seen. As I said, very excited about Denise Suarez and the way that he's been playing so far. He was a guy that over the summer, again, I had thought had been regressing a little bit or didn't have the best year and didn't seem to be taking that next step in his career. Being 24, it was a pivotal year. But it seems like he's starting to take that step forward with Barcelona in his second season back at the Camp Nou. And that's an exciting thing, nevertheless. Now, going from talking about the current team to players who formerly played but are now moving back to the team, 
in bigger roles. And Guillermo Amor is our story here. Now, over the summer, in July, both he, a former midfielder for Barcelona from 1988 to 1998, was appointed alongside former teammate Jose Maria Becquero. Both of those names, for any of them who understand the team under Cruyff back in the early 90s, they were big parts of those teams. They took joint charge of the club's youth operations in July. And now because of both politically, but because the club is also trying to restructure after maybe potentially after the vote of no confidence scare, Amor is now being moved and appointed the new head of institutional relations and sports for the first team. So that will mean that other guys in the back offices are being moved around, including Albert Soler, who seems to be stepping down from his football responsibilities at the club and moving into a different role. And then Raul Sanei, who is now going to be focusing more on the handball and basketball teams after being the chief transfer negotiator over the recent seasons. And while there was some good faith because Paulinho and Nelson Semedo did so well, I think there's a reasonable shakeup in the club front office as we expected. And as I had said before about what kind of people we'd want on the board and what kind of people we want working behind the scenes for Barcelona... Both of us had said in the past that we wanted footballing minds and guys who have been involved both in our club, but also involved in the sport and understand what goes into it and not just these white-collar businessmen trying to figure out how to navigate the world of football. And so I really like this move. Yeah, I love it too. I think that the board has been, let's just say, quite inefficient in terms of um, prioritizing the footballer aspect to our football team. Because it's Football Club Barcelona for a reason. That's the F on it is quite clear. Now, um, as you said, I think a president of Barca, Football Club Barcelona, should know about football. And they should prioritise the football and strategy against everything else. Um, of course, there is a marketing part of the business. There is um, relationships part of the business. There is all sorts of areas that need to be taken care of. And that's why that's why I'm calling it a business. At a club level, that's what Barca is. But deep in our heart, it's a football club that should be run by people who love football, understand football. Ideally, and this may be a personal opinion, but then again, it's our podcast, so we can give those. I think it should be an ex-player or someone who's had a, a long career playing a football. It doesn't necessarily need to be a professional level. They don't even need to be Barca ex-players, but someone who has played enough football in their lives so they understand how footballers feel. Because at the end of the day, the most important Barca employee is Lionel Messi. And if you don't understand where he's coming from or how he feels or what his feelings are when he's playing for our club and defending our colours, then you really are missing the point. So I think that is what Bartomeu is trying to avoid because he knows his limitations. And he's getting Guillermo Amor, who has been playing with the Football Base, which is the La Masia youth system, for the last, I think it's now three, four years. And he's done fantastically well there uh, in terms of titles. I think that obviously the amount of talent coming out of La Masia is not as great as it was, say, a decade ago. But then again, we've spoken about that in the past in our podcast. And I really, really hope that our listeners who haven't heard our previous episodes go back and and can sort of go back to our content and and see what's what's already available there but it's clear that the talent coming out is not as excellent as it was during the Xavi, Iniesta, Gabri, Guardiola era 
and that that needs to improve. But in terms of Amor, he's coming up with a very difficult task. I'm calling it a hot potato task, which is trying to bring the board and the players closer together. But the thing is, there's been such a distance for so many years that that's going to be very tricky. Um, I sort of thinking back about when Guillermo Amor was playing for Barca, he was obviously under Johan Cruyff's um, guidance and he was like a little mini Xavi. And I think that without Guillermo Amor and Pep Guardiola, there wouldn't have been a Xavi because he sort of paved the way as to what a La Masia graduate can bring at first-team level. But I know for a fact that Amor is not the best in front of the media. He's not shy as such, but he prefers to have a secondary role and having him at the games talking about what's happened, etc., um, may not be something that he's the best suited for. But in a way, if what he's been brought to is to bring the board and the players closer, then he definitely has the ability to do that. I mean, let's face it, footballers respect other footballers and much more than they would respect any businessman. So in that respect, he can probably do a job. But I really do wish him the best of luck because he's really got a dog of a job to do. I agree with all that, Frances. And so now's the time to go to our quick-fire listener questions. We're running out of time, but we'll go one sentence apiece on each. Arsacio asks... What's going on with the continuing resignation of board members and what are their motives? Well, the answer to that one, Arsacio, would be a lot of it is political based and based on what's happening after the fall of the Catalan referendum. So we would direct you to our previous shows for that. And that is kind of the answer to that is that the ones who are supporting independence are the ones who are taking a step away from the club. Is that correct, Frances? It is, it is. It was explained at tvpod.link forward slash 38. I think that they just didn't agree with what the club decided to do on the Catalan referendum day, which is playing. And they decided that they couldn't live with people who didn't share those beliefs. And they and they walked out and it's all part of a restructure now. Blessed Guebo asks, does Dini deserve more minutes based on its international displays? Um, I think that the answer could be yes. There could be a little more rotation, but the tough thing is Jordi Alba is playing really, really well right now. It's a great problem to have. I think Dinia was great during the international break, but the thing is Jordi Alba was perhaps even better. And as we spoke about just a couple of minutes ago, Jordi Alba has been one of the players of the season and Dinia needs to continue to push in order to, to break the team. But if Alba is playing at that level, I don't really see him getting in, apart from the fact that as Dan explained, rotation is necessary for both players to reach the end of the season fresh. Peña Barça of LA asked, what's starting 11 for Saturday against Atletico coming after the FIFA break? The answer to that one, I think, is the strongest starting level possible, including Iniesta if he's up to fitness. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Um, I think that that would be Ter Stegen, then Piqué and Umtiti in the middle. I would say Semedo and Alba. Then in the midfield would be Busquets. I would have Rakitic and Iniesta, even though that they played a lot of minutes. I think I would still keep them. Um, Messi, as we've discussed, very effective in the center, so keep him there. Suarez, you have to play Luis Suarez, so he needs to be um, in one of the wings, and he's most probably going to be on the left. And based on what we said earlier, I think Denis Suarez should start on the other side with Del Lufeo coming in during the second half. And also I see stints for Paulinho at some stage, particularly during around the 60th to 70th minute. And I think Sergio Roberto could do a job as well in the late second half. Predvi asks, how much of a role do you think the international break will play on Messi and Suarez with long travel times on upcoming matches? I think they're used to it. 
I think that they know how to time themselves. I know they know how to take care of their bodies. They're very professional players. I think probably in Luis Suarez's case, he's actually doing well because he's called for Uruguay, so his morale must be a little bit higher. And hopefully he can continue um, that upper trend in the game against Atletico. And as for Messi, he's a genius. Um, he could play without any sleep for a week and he would still be the best player on earth. Rahan asks, should Barca sign Alex instead of Coutinho? I say neither. <laughs> I say let's not talk about Coutinho. <laughs> uh, until it's a reality, we're really bored of it. Uh, I think Coutinho will be a very valid player who would add a lot to the squad. But please don't ask us about Coutinho anymore. I think, I think that's going to make you want to do it even more. But um, yeah, Coutinho, great player. When he's at Barca, we'll analyze it in depth. Until then, please let us have a show without him. Hey guys, after Suarez, this is from Cristo. After Suarez scored for Uruguay, do you think he'll recover his form for Barca too? I think the answer to that one is hopefully. But I think his health and how he's dealing with the cyst is an important part of this puzzle. So I think if he can overcome that injury, he might be able to get back to his goal-scoring form, or that's at least what the hope would be. I agree. I agree. That's um, sort of links to the previous answer that we gave. Suarez in a good mood and sort of not struggling for positioning would be great news for Barca, and we actually need that desperately, especially with Dembélé out. The last one. This one's a tough one, Frances. We'll end it here. Asakomne. Asks, what do you think of Oscar Grau's open statement that we have all the money in the world to spend on Coutinho or some other player the technical staff may ask for? He said, sounds unprofessional to me. And I think that is a red flag. And I hate that the Barcelona CEO did that. Uh, yes, I agree. I agree. I think that links to what we're talking about in terms of the board. There are several things that they're doing that just don't sit right uh, in terms of, in a way, you have to call it professionalism, isn't it? and understanding their position within society, within the club, and you know, having the, the world's media at their disposal. It's not a very clever thing to say, um, but you know, it all goes back to the board's inefficiency and, and their inability to get any deals closed without actually messing it up beforehand. Whew. I think we did it, Frances. Got through our listener questions today, and we did pretty good. Yeah, I think, I think we did well. I like this quick, 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 quick fire version we're doing. And hopefully um, our listeners that get sort of a mention in the show can understand and realize that we love doing it. And hopefully they can send us more next time round uh, because the more we can mention our listeners, the more appreciation we're showing your way, uh, the better it makes us feel. So we are delighted to be able to include you in the show. And thank you very much for your questions on a weekly basis. And for our listeners, all we ask of you, please share the show, let people know, and get the word out there. And if you have the time as well, we'd love some iTunes reviews or wherever you listen to your podcast as well. And so that wraps it up again. Thanks for listening to the Barcelona Podcast, bringing the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon, and Forza Barca. Thank you to our patrons for funding the show. Forza. Forza.